Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, welcome to Returning Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. If you enjoy these, why not go to gofasterstripe.com slash badges, buy a one-off badge for however much you want to pay, or buy a monthly badge and you get lots of extras like a secret channel with backstage stuff and other bits of film, a badge, entry into a secret drawer, an email with lots of exciting extra stuff that other normal non-badge scum can't get. Uh, and that will really help us to make more stuff. If you're already subscribing, do check uh, that you still are paying a pound a month because once your credit card runs out it may have stopped as it has for many of you just a little tip for you, if you want to keep paying us then we can keep making more anyway let's sit back and listen to richard herring's leicester square theater podcast ladies and gentlemen welcome to the leicester square theater please welcome a man who's genuinely wondering whether all the events of 2016 are his fault it's richard herring <laughs> To walk on, that's the one. Look at me then. So, hello! Uh, 
hello, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. I was in Milwaukee uh, the other day with uh, the Fonz. I don't know if you know the Fonz. He was around. I was talking to Richie Cunningham and Ralph Malf, his mate. He hangs around with them. The Fonz doesn't call it this, but they have started calling it Leicester Post. So I don't know what that means. They hang around with the Fonz, so I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I, a few people have pointed this out, that in the uh, John Robbins podcast, that I did, which we did on basically the, for the start of 2016. I think we recorded in 2015, but it went out as the New Year podcast. I said, yeah, come on, 2016, do your worst. Uh, and it seems that 2016 has taken me up on that challenge. So I'm slightly worried that it's all my fault. Every day I hope uh, we're less fucked. Uh, every day we seem to be more fucked. So by the time this goes out, I think in August sometime, God knows what the country is going to be. What? He'll be dead by then. That is... I might be dead. <laughs> I'm not famous enough to die. Uh, and uh, this, is the, this is the week at uh, the Tory um, party of uh, uh, trying to get a new leader. Think back to then if you're what, listening at home. Uh, but there's a good way of... Uh, I came up on the day of the, the leadership was being announced, a good way of remembering the names of all of the candidates for Tory leader. Uh, it was Gove may lead some crab to your Johnson or Hunt, which I was... Uh, <laughs> I was quite, I was quite pleased uh, with that. And then Johnson, he dropped off, didn't he? That is the danger when you get crabs. That is the danger. Always have a safe political uh, sex. Uh, so um, God knows, some of you'll know who's won in the future. It's uh, probably Theresa May. So uh, it's, but maybe not. It's awful, isn't it? It's all terrible. I mean, I'm meant to come and cheer you up. That's the thing. But I'm, I'm so I've been depressed for two weeks, and that, in terms of you at home, is like over a month. So that is. <laughs> That's very upsetting. Um, and uh, last week it was Heterosexual Pride Day. Is, yeah. Oh, what I know is when, when would it be men's Heterosexual Pride Day? I don't, I don't want to share my Heterosexual Pride Day with women. That's not on, is it? I want just men to celebrate it on their own. Maybe in a sauna together. That is what that is. Um, and uh, it's quite a small uh, crowd tonight compared to last week. Uh, um, the week before, I should say, when Vic Reeves was on. Uh, so I just thought I'd... Oh, hold on. I thought I'd uh, show people at home how disappointing it is. <laughs> I don't know if you can see there at home. I mean, Nick, you can't really... It looks quite full, because uh, the lights sort of shine and you can't see the vast, empty sea behind these. Uh, but uh, I was looking at the figure, the sales figures for, for this uh, series... Uh, and the last show on the 25th of July, which we haven't yet got any guests for, has sold better than tonight already. So that is, I just, I just want, I just want both the guests to know that that is their pulling power. And talking of, talking of my guests for this week and next week, why not? Let's look forward to next week as well while we're here. Uh, the first guest I'm talking to, and the only guest this week. Uh, is probably best known for his appearance on Alan Carr's New Year Spectacular. <laughs> Not spectacular, spectacular. It's Nish Kumar, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Nish Kumar. Here we come. Welcome. Sit down, pick up a microphone, talking to that microphone. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, good. What a hyped up intro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your first disappointment. I mean, I don't know what this says about me. I'm looking at the crowd thinking, this is a pretty good number, isn't it? This is a pretty good crowd for Kumar. I'm happy with it. I'm very excited. It's, it is good. They're, they're, they're quality, not quantity. 
No, they're not very good. They're not, they're not. Next week's audience will be better. We'll see. So, um, what do you remember about Alan Carr's New Year spectacular? Why wouldn't it specta- spectacular? It was specs because he was wearing glasses. Well, that's not enough, is it? Well, he did that's... another one without glasses, and that was just spectacular. Yeah, okay. I, think. I think that was what happened. What I mainly remember about it yeah. was Danny Dyer was the most drunk man I've ever seen in my entire life. Before we started recording, right. he turned up absolutely shit-faced, kept trying to have sex with Kelly Brooke, yeah. and then at one point. I, I may have to consult with someone before I can <laughs> allow this to be released as the, into the podcast. This may just be for the, as That's you put it, disappointing number of yeah. people. <laughs> this may just be for you guys. But uh, at one point, uh, the cameras were turned off. They were just turning it round before, during an advert break. And just before the cameras went on, Alan Carr just turned to me and Greg Davis and went, these get wilder every year. Last year, someone got fingered. And then the cameras just turned <laughs> off. <laughs> So there's definitely one bit of that programme where me and Greg Davis are both just sat there with our eyebrows on the ceiling. It's like, what? Who got fingered? And we never got another chance where we were just in conversation with him to find out who got fingered. Was it live then or was it a pre-record? No, it was a pre-record. Was it? Yeah. Daddy Dyer turned up not on New Year's Eve. Daddy Dyer turned up (laughs) hammered on December 15th. (laughs) Fair enough. It should be called... It's just a bad title, Spectacular, because it's spectacular is the word. Yeah, it is, yeah, uh, yeah. And was everyone wearing specs? I don't think so. so no, it's no. Not, they've it's really... not even spectacular if only one person well, was wearing Where specs. are you on December 15th last year, Richard? <laughs> we could have used this sort of wisdom well, back then. You know, I might try... I'm going to try and get together the, the, the crew behind um, my uh, improvisation, my dear, my watch. <laughs> We'll discuss that in the next podcast, but I think I might try and also do... It's like a Justin Lee Collins, uh, let's bring back the, the, the cast. Of yeah, the, yeah, 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 sure. So we might do with that as well. I well, mentioned we'll... this. I'd mentioned the idea of bringing back um, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, Mark Watson one on Twitter, and then someone tweeted uh, and said, why don't you get Justin Lee Collins to do it, which I was hoping they wouldn't do because I was sort of slightly taking the piss. Yeah. And within 20 seconds, Justin Lee Collins tweeted to say, <laughs> I will do it. <laughs> That's how committed he is to reunions. He will get involved in a reunion for something he has no idea existed. And then I said, we'd have to bring back... We should First of all, we'd have to do a bring back, bring back Justin Lee Collins, <laughs> which you'll have to go and see if you can bring back yourself. Wait, so is he... Hold on. Is the show called Elementary, my dear... Mark, Mark Watson. Watson, yeah. That's one of the shittest titles for anything well, I've ever Well, you were in Alan Carr's New Year Spectacular. <laughs> and that tells you everything you need to know about how bad that title was. And you, and you didn't step back and say, I'll be in this, but you have to change the title. <laughs> so that it no, makes... I did not. It also, a... can I just say, that I was dreading that bit of the interview, because I have done some fucking <laughs> shit in my career. Oh, boy. And the fact, I feel like I've really got away with one. What, what would you have chosen as your worst thing? Definitely Blue Go Mad in Ibiza. I did a... Definitely. Definitely. I I was in a hidden camera show with the band Blue where they uh, were running a fake bar in Ibiza and all the people involved... This is absolutely true, right? And all the people uh, involved in the administration of the bar were uh, comedians and sort of performers, a bit like me, uh, Ed Gamble, uh, Sam Pamphalon, like lots of like people sort of my generation were in it. And it was, without question, one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. Like, I like everyone who's involved in it. And the problem is, whenever I do something that's terrible, uh, and whenever people, my sort of, of my school comedic year, 
do something that's terrible, we know that Josh Widdicombe is going to see it. <laughs> Josh Widdicombe has somehow put into his Sky Plus the names of all of his friends and a couple of words that suggest they're about to do a humiliating television programme. Like, once on Virtually Famous, I had to... Uh, I found myself uh, on my knees in front of a treadmill eating pork pies... Uh, with a woman from The Only Way is Essex. And they put a trough in front of us just in case we vomited. And I really thought, this is the low point. That was before Blue Go Mad and Ibiza, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, at least, you know, probably no one will see it. And uh, the, day it came, uh, the day it was released, probably a couple of hours after it aired, I got a text message that was a picture of me with my face in a treadmill <laughs> shoveling a poor pie in my mouth from television's Josh Widdicombe, right? <laughs> I don't know how the fuck he does it. It's incredible. It's, it's, well, that is what uh, uh, modern celebrities like. Though. I, was, I recently I did uh, one of those Sunday morning TV shows. Yeah. Saturday, Saturday Kitchen, it might have been. And I ended up on the floor on my knees in between Bonnie Langford and a woman from The Only Way is Essex <laughs> moving a fake a man made out of sort of packaging paper around. <laughs> I thought, this is like a weird thing to have happened. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... And then, uh, but then well, I was watching Mrs. Merton, uh, which was on the other day, obviously, for horrible reasons. Yeah. And uh, she was sort of... Steve Coogan was one of the guests and she was sort of mocking Steve Coogan for being on a TV show with, uh, you know, the tallest man in the UK and Chris Akabusi. But that's quite classy, isn't it? Compared to what to what our generation, it there depends. you go. Yeah, that's he's the tallest man in. W- were they eating pork pies? On the <laughs> that's, because that's a really crucial detail. That is bad. I had to do the other day. I did the Superhuman show, which is a good show. But I don't know if I, yeah. should, I don't know if I can tell this story. I was up against. I'll, I'm going to tell it because there's hardly anyone in. Uh, <laughs> this this uh, podcast was, is going to be about involved, 15 minutes long by the I end was, of it. I was involved in. Uh, we'll, we'll put it out. It was fine. <laughs> it's a superhuman show. It's a nice show. It's about the, uh, the Paralympics. Yeah. And so I was on with uh, you know a guy who was a wheelchair expert wheelchair guy. He's, yeah. He's won all the. Yeah. Uh, a, wi- a wheelchairman. Yeah. What I believe uh, that's. One of the wheelchair. A wheelchairman. Yeah. 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 We're going, going fast on wheelchairs. I've forgotten his name. He was. He was called. Uh, the David Ware or something is called because his nickname was the Werewolf. Yeah, which it took me ages to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there afraid I was going to chip in and go, "Why do they call you the Werewolf?" Because I don't match the word. I worked it out, uh, and uh, we did this stunt where I had to go on like a wheelchair on a machine and see how fast I could go. Yeah, and then he was going to come on and he had to go at thirty-three beats a minute so he'd make a record thing turn around. Yeah, and I went on and did it, and I'd never been in a wheelchair in a wheelchair before. And I, and I thought, oh, I did pretty well. I got up to sort of 29. Yeah. And they came down and said, you've done too well. Can you, can, you, can, you, can, you, can you do it again and do less well? And then and I said, I'm very competitive. I'm not going to pretend. And I was really pleased to have done so well. And they go, no, that's really good. And then the guy came and did it and did about 30. And then and he's won five gold medals. <laughs> And then they had to kind of fix it, so that then he got 33. <laughs> this is going to be the shortest podcast ever. We're just going to come out, we're just going to go, this next guest has drawn a disappointing audience. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Nish Kumar. <laughs> Bad, don't it? I felt like I was part of, like, you know, a quiz show or something like that. that when yeah. They, when they just made me redo it. That's a good movie. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. That, yeah. Have you seen? Has anyone here seen Quiz Show? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the nerds have. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a good movie. It's got amazing cast in it. It's a slightly forgotten masterpiece. Yes, I think. Yeah. We can't use that bit either because uh, <laughs> so, we'll put it out. It was it, there was something wrong with the machine or something. Right. Okay. That made it me good at being. 
A wheelchair. I mean, you know, but then I thought, hey, if you know the combi doesn't work out, <laughs> all I've got to do is get in an accident of some kind. <laughs> Just take the legs out. My legs are no good. I, I thought the, you know, I thought if anything, my legs were my best attribute because I run and stuff. But it turns, turns out, out just the bit that I do nothing with. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds like the plot of an excellent film <laughs> where somebody tries to get their legs taken out of commission so that they compete at the Paralympics. It sounds like a great movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis or a terrible film starring Adam Sandler. That's how... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I think Adam Sandler, definitely. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Adam Sandler films. I'm re- if I oh, have a, you're only human, If Richard. I have an afternoon off, I will sit and watch Adam Sandler films on Netflix, and there's a lot of them now. There's so many. You get, I can't even... I'm like, I watched two recently, and I can't even remember what they were about. That's how... Have you, seen Jack, how, have you seen Jack and Jill? Yeah, I mean, yes, of Fuck course. me, that's a shit film. Oh, boy. Oh, that's so bad. I was watching it thinking, was I in this? Like, it really, it really is a shockingly bad film. I saw The Cobbler. What's in The Cobbler? <laughs> the Cobbler is... I mean, it's almost good, The Cobbler. It's, uh, they've got an amazing cast in it. It's very predictable, but it's... Um, he's, uh, he's a cobbler, and his dad's got a... <laughs> his dad was a cobbler. Sure. I mean, you know, it's a dangerous thing doing an Adam Sandler film. They, you can tell it's an American film. Yeah. Because if you were in Adam Sandler in England, you would never call any film... The cobbler. The cobbler, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. very short yeah, step yeah, yeah. we have to take. Uh, but uh, he's a cobbler, and his dad was a cobbler. Uh, but then his dad had a special machine that he used. Uh, but he, So Adam Sandler's new machines break down, so he goes back and uses the old machine, and it turns out that any shoes repaired on that machine, if you then put them on, you <laughs> turn into the person who owns the shoes. <laughs> right, so A... A, that only works for people who have the same size feet as you, so yeah. immediately it takes it down quite a long way. Uh, I mean, it's surprisingly sensitive. It's only slightly racist and <laughs> a little bit transphobic, I would say, and, whereas most of them are full. And, and they, they, what the, the other one was, it must have been a different one where they had, uh, or was it the same one? <laughs> I saw one where he's, oh no, the one with um, David Spade where they're, they, um, God, what's it even called? Is it Grown Ups? No, it's a more recent one. I think it might be a special Netflix one. We should just talk about Adam Sandler all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, David Spade, no, David Spade's normal and Adam Sandler's a bit crazy and he fakes their deaths. Right. And then they get, what's it called? The Do-Over. The The Do-Over. Now, the worrying thing about this is that two people in this audience (laughs) knew that. That is phenomenal. And, and so it does this thing. They take over the lives of these other guys who turn out to be gangsters or something, and then they get in loads of trouble. But like, as in most Adam Sandler, they sort of have their cake and eat it by having like gay characters. Yeah. But the joke is always like, oh, no. Oh, God, you're going to get... Oh, man's going to kiss me. Oh. And then they, try, they now make it sort of slightly right on by going... But then it's a big biker and, hey, it's cool that you're gay, but... I wouldn't want to touch your cock. Uh, so it's they've got less bad than they used to be. Was I? Was he in? I now. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Yeah, but that's, that's very homophobic for a film that's trying to yes to promote. Gay that's rights. right. That's exactly that is. But Jack and Jill. The thing that I found most depressing about it is that yeah. Al Pacino is in it, mm. and there's a bit where like Al Pacino, they're in Al Pacino's house, and Al Pacino plays Al Pacino. 
right? The actor Al Pacino <laughs> is playing the actor Al Pacino. So immediately you're like, oh, this could be a little bit like a Charlie Kaufman film. And that notion is very quickly scratched. Um, but there's one point in it where they uh, smash his Oscar... And Adam Sandler's uh, one, one of either Jack or Jill, he plays both, don't worry about it, he's got a range. And <laughs> one of them says, uh, oh, I'm sure you have others. And he goes, you'd think. And it's like, ow, you're not going to get a second one being in fucking Jack and Jill. Steve Buscemi's in uh, The Cobbler. Is he really? Yeah. And someone else amazing. They have amazing people in How, them. What information does Adam Sandler have about all these people? That means he can blackmail them into being in his shitty films. He's, you know, I find him fascinating because he's quite, he could be quite good. Yeah. And he is quite good in the films he's good in that are good. Do you like funny people? I sort of liked it and then it go. then there's, there's a, it's about half an hour too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it goes off into, so he's doing really well and then it, but it's got some really interesting yeah. stuff in it. And Punch Drunk Love is a legitimately great movie. Yeah. But, and then you sort of go, I don't know how this is the same person who does this and is then in Click, which is a movie where he gets a magic television remote. <laughs> the nice thing about these movies is that they've clearly not overthought the premise. <laughs> it's just the first idea sometimes is your best idea. It is. You put on someone's shoes, you become them, and then you can... <laughs> You can take the shoes off and you're not them anymore. I mean, it's sort of like Groundhog Day. Uh, <laughs> a very bad version of Groundhog Day. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, mean, it's, I don't know, it's just... And, but he's very loyal, that's the thing I like about yeah, him. Yeah, so yeah. So how else would Rob Schneider get any work if... Well, unless and until there is another Deuce Bigelow movie. Like, <laughs> have you seen... Rob Schneider's got a sitcom as well. Has he? Yeah, it's like somebody read the Wikipedia entry for Louis. Like, it really is... <laughs> it's kind of extraordinary. Like, it really is worth checking out. Anyway, no, enough about uh, Adam Sandler. We'll wait till he's a guest. <laughs> can't, wait to, can't wait to talk to him. I think he might have blown that, I Rich. might have done... He'll cut, he won't listen to this. Uh, and, or come on this, so it's, I think we're fine. You live uh, in the house behind mine in I Shepherd's Bush. directly behind Richard Herring. That is, I moved in there. Did you, you talked about this with Stu yeah. Goldsmith. When you, so Stuart Goldsmith and I moved to Shepherd's Bush uh, about two years ago. And when we first looked at the flat, Stu was like, I think I've been here before. And then the first day we moved in, Stu was like, oh, I've been here before because Rich lives right over there. <laughs> and I said, where? And he was like, he literally pointed at you sat in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Just literally just looked across. I was like, oh, yeah, there he is. There's, there's Herring. Have you seen me? I walk around a lot quite naked. Well, quite I was lot. actually about to ask you the same yeah. thing. I've never, I've never worked out quite where you are. So in which... which uh, well, well I have, and I yeah. have been walking around quite a lot naked <laughs> in the hope that you would see my yeah. wanger, but yeah, well, sadly so it appears not. Stuart's moved. Stuart's moved. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I st- I'm still there. Yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah. It's like a real window. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Could you tell the people who live in the top flat... Yeah. Their drain is really hanging. I mean, they know. <laughs> they know because it's hanging over their window. I mean, the, 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 dra- the, the drain pipe has come off and it's hanging. But it's been like that for like two years. Oh, really? And it's really starting to annoy me every time I look out. My, when I look out my office, which is on the top floor, then I, I'm just looking directly. I can't, like, the, the, that top flat has had a, about three or four different people living in it in the time that I've been there. 
And I feel like now we've got to the bottom of what yes. it is. It's because there's just constantly a rain of sewage falling <laughs> down outside the back window. They could just they could lean out the window and, uh, well, they might, <laughs> might need some scaffolding. It'll probably uh, impact on your life. I saw you yesterday in the Westfield, but you didn't see me. That's right. Where were you, where I were was, you in the Westfield? You were just by the champagne bar. You were talking to your girlfriend. You looked quite having quite an intense conversation, so I didn't... Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> <no>. <laughs> oh, this is really bad. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's because I, I know what that conversation was about. We were having a conversation about... We both... <laughs> we both needed a shit. <laughs> and we were having a really serious conversation that I would say lasted about five minutes about whether we were going to both go for a shit in the Westfield or wait until we got home. <laughs> That was the serious conversation yeah. we were having. I'm glad I didn't interrupt it. Now. Yeah, it really must have ruined someone's glass of champagne. Yes. <laughs> I needed a shit as well. <laughs> I waited till I got home, but thinking about it, it's better to go in the Westfield. Yeah, it? well, then, the, the especially thing, with then, your drains. Then later on, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then later, I returned the favour because then yeah. later I just saw you walking uh, with Katie and your baby, yeah. just towards your house, yeah. and I and I was going to wave. But I didn't. But I didn't not wave. If that makes sense. So I sort of just had my hand, <laughs> just slowly up here, just like this. And I just thought, I don't think I've ever looked creepier. <laughs> I also had a full erection. That's also that's probably why I look so creepy. <laughs> so you know, we keep on missing each other. That's the fun of. Uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, weird that with that. It was weird when Stuart was living there, yeah. and it was like literally we are both doing po- interview podcasts. Yeah, exactly. And we yeah. could throw stones through each other's windows. Yeah. Well, for a while, didn't you accuse him of throwing eggs? I did. There were egg. I, my garden was egg. That's right. <laughs> and I, I, I think it was the kids next door, but it could have been. Well, because then our house got egged. Right. The front of it on Halloween, uh-huh. and uh, Stu was like, "There's a, someone's throwing an egg at our house," and I was like. Classic herring. Absolutely <laughs> classic herring. An egg for an egg. I couldn't work out... I wouldn't be able to work out where your house was from the front. I, could only, I, could only I don't know what number you live at. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I'd like to point out to anyone listening that Shepherd's Wish, there's not very many eggings. It's a lovely place it's to live. It's a lovely area. If you want to buy yeah. a property... If someone was looking to buy a house in Shepherd's Bush, <laughs> maybe that had uh, lovely views of my dick and balls... <laughs> I don't know what that does. That'd be interesting to find out what that's done to the value that of your house. Be to know. And there's, I've been egged and a man shat in my <laughs> in my front port, oh, the front garden. That was me. Yeah, didn't make it back home in time from the Westfields. <laughs> but weirdly, my house is further from the Westfield than your house. <laughs> don't question my methods, Richard. <laughs> don't question my methods. It's, it's weird, but yeah, I haven't. No, I have never seen you in there. But I do like. I do all sorts of things in the kitchen. <laughs> when I'm on my own in the house, I forget. And because there's some windows now, we had it done up, so there's new windows that I'm not expecting. I think it's probably worse yeah. for the people to the side. Who are really If they, if they the were view. looking down, they, they could see all sorts of things going on. <laughs> no, OK, yes. <laughs> Let's get straight into some emergency questions before we get to talk about your uh, stand-up uh, shows, which will sound very interesting as well, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> I like, I like the fact that you've declared a state of emergency <laughs> preemptively. Like I've said, I've looked at this guy's Wikipedia page yeah. straight to the emergency <laughs> questions. There's not much. The thing, you know, as I was saying to backstage, 
you know, the newer comedians, there's not much. <laughs> yeah. Because they, cause you haven't done enough interviews to forget what you've said in interviews. Yeah, that's, that's the right. Be- that's the beauty of, you know, the, the more long-established... But I would also question some of your research methods, Richard. Because <laughs> when I came into the uh, dressing room, uh, there was an iPad uh, on the table uh, that was playing a video of Paul Chowdhury. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think maybe the reason Richard can't find much about me is because he's just been searching for brown comedians. <laughs> How was I, it when you were co-hosting The Apprentice, You're Fired? I played a DVD of you, and it was YouTube that was racist. <laughs> not me. Yeah, that would have been the next one that came up. I actually did. I tweeted the wrong... Uh, I, put, I added the wrong That's Nishkima right, you added, into, yeah. Uh, so I, when I was mentioning this on Twitter, I put at, at Nishkuma, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, and I realised someone said that's not Nishkuma, you're no. Mr. Nishkuma. I'm Mr. Nishkuma. So it was the wrong guy. We'd only tweeted once in 2012, so yeah. I, think he, I don't think he was too bothered by no, it. No, I don't think so. Like, I, there, lots of people then started going, like, contacting you, being like, why don't you tweet more? I, was like, <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that's not helping. If he's a little bit shy on Twitter, the last thing he's going to need is, like, 50 Richard Herring fans going, Oi, fucking speak up, mate! <laughs> My mu- I, t- I made a joke about the fact that I'd booked the other one, and yeah. so I was going to have to go through with it. <laughs> My mum sort of thought, "Is that?" I said, "Oh, you got the wrong Nishkuma then." So that's, how's that going to work? How's that? Was he a comedian as well? I said, yeah, there's two Nishkuma comedians, and I got the wrong one. But it's all right. We'll, we'll go with this other guy. I had to fly him in from India. Uh, anyway, because uh, people have been nicking my emergency questions, I've started nicking other people's emergency questions. Who nicked your emergency? Loads questions? of people. They keep they do it and they don't credit me. Like especially the ham hand one. They can have it. That's why it's, it's gone. It's dead to me. The Wait, ham hand. Who's nicked ham the ham hand? hand? Someone asked Jodie Foster. Someone asked Moby. Really? Yeah, people ask all that. Like, I don't know if there's a Guardian question and answer. They are loads really? of mine. Yeah, people nick them. God, I love, I'd love it if Paxman had nicked them. <laughs> <laughs> so here are some emergency questions okay. from lifehacks.io. If yeah. you could jump into a pool of something, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I think. It would. I, I, I watched uh, DuckTales at quite an impressionable yeah. age. And so I think there's always been a part of me that's had the ambition to dive into a pool full of coin-based money. <laughs> I think, I imagine it would be yeah. fatal, but yeah. what a way to go. I think if you dive from, dove from a height... Yeah, if be. you dove from a height into yeah. a pool full of coins, yeah. what a way... I mean, he died the way he lived, st- stupidly. <laughs> I always thought it'd be quite fun because I, I, I travel around with a lot of coins actually because I do a collection of yeah. all of my yeah, of my gigs. I always thought it'd be quite funny to like have have someone back to your hotel room and then throw coins <laughs> and then make, have to make love in a pile of coins rather than the you, all the films when you've got a drug money in they throw all their money all over yeah. the bed. So I, I thought it'd be quite funny to have sex on a load of coins because it would just be like I, it would be, I, I would just, just have really to keep sore. on moving, sort of picking coins out of your bum <laughs> and just off your they sort of stick to your skin. <laughs> and it would be quite unpleasant. Yeah, there's 250 quid there in I'm... 10p pieces. <laughs> I never did it. I wouldn't do that because the money is uh, going to scope. And, uh, <laughs> that is... You continue to sully your record with disabled people. <laughs> I do. I, yeah, because I, you've talked a lot about dying with all that money in the back. Yeah. I got for a long... Like, this early last year, I was on tour and I had DVDs. And I went, I, I toured on trains because I can't drive. And so I just had a suitcase that just had two pairs of, like, pants, <laughs> just in case I couldn't get to the Westfield to take a dump. <laughs> and 
DVDs, and I just thought, if this train derails, <laughs> I am going to die looking like my own biggest fan. Like, <laughs> that is a really bleak way to go. Yeah. It is, well, you know, it will, it will happen to one of us. <laughs> uh, this is from MarshallJonesJr.com. Have you ever tried sushi? <laughs> What the fuck is MarshallJonesJr.com? <laughs> There's a hundred questions to ask people, and that was one of them. Not even to ask people from very remote places. To ask people from Antarctica or somewhere where there are no sushi restaurants. Have you ever tried sushi? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that it's from a guidebook of how to talk to Japanese people. <laughs> Have you ever tried sushi? Good sushi to you. <laughs> okay, this is, a, this is a question that comes from a previous podcast. Sure. This isn't especially for you. Are you circumcised? That is the first part of the question. Uh, no, I'm not. No. The, uh, as you would know if you ever looked out of your fucking back window. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, well, this really comes to it. This is a question that was asked. I can't even just remember to it. Was it David Cross? Uh, when you masturbate, do you uh, start away or towards... But it's, it, it was really for people who are circumcised, that second yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I start towards. I'll yeah. still give you the information. I'm so pleased that I told my mum I was doing this. And she said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll look out for that. What is... Uh, hello. This is Kuma. What's the, what's the, uh, what is the worst rumour you've heard about yourself? This is one of my emergency questions. Because I've, lo- I've heard rumours about myself that aren't anywhere near true. And there's plenty of rumours you could tell about me that are true. What, um, what's the worst... Okay, I, the, the, the worst rumour that I've heard about myself uh, has happened, like, within the last week and a half. Mm. Uh, the, a man on Twitter tried to suggest that at a gig, uh, I had said all white people were cunts. <laughs> uh, and all I can say is, I call it like I say it. <laughs> um, good. Yeah, that's the worst rumour. And then my mother called me up and said, what have you been saying about white people? And I was like, <laughs> what, why are you searching fucking Twitter? That was, it was at the gig, we talked about this backstage a little bit, it was a, there was a, had a bit of an incident uh, at, at a gig the night of the referendum announcement. Uh, I was at the comedy store and I was talking about the referendum. I was saying, you know, that I was, you know, I was disappointed with the result, but I don't necessarily cast aspersions on how you vote. And a man told me to go home. Like, that was the night of the referendum. Go home. That is old school. It's like he wanted to be racist, and so he asked Jeeves. Like, that's how... (laughs) And also, I was a bit thrown, so I did say, to Croydon. And he did not look amused by that at all. Yeah, and it was... So then afterwards, there was a guy on Twitter who was saying, you said that the only reason that that man was racist to you is because you said all white people were racists. And you go... I mean, he's not disproving my claim. Even if that is what happened, if I said all white people are racist and a man said, go home, if anything, I'm just bang on the money. <laughs> it was really interesting because this guy on Twitter was contacting me saying, this was, you said this thing and you said that all people who voted leave were racist, which I didn't say. And he said, you said all white people are racist, which I didn't say. And he said, that's why the guy was racist to you. And you go, that's weird, because none of that happened. But he's created this whole story in his mind. And luckily, the comedy store films all of it set, so we have the video. So I was like, well, we sort of have the video. And he was like, 
well, I believe what I believe. <laughs> you just go, I mean, we've all got a lot of stereotypes about people who vote leave, and I'm trying desperately not to believe any of them, but on that night I did meet someone who was a racist and someone else who was refusing to change their beliefs in the face of overwhelming evidence. <laughs> we've all had enough of experts and video <laughs> That is not that is not proof to me, but that's I mean that is chilling and worrying, and nothing like that's ever happened to you before. Is that right? Never, so no, never, like never. I mean, I've been told to go home for like fifteen years or something. Like it was something when I was when I was younger. I grew up in Croydon, which is a shithole, uh, but it is a very multicultural shithole. But then when I went to school, I went to I actually went to school with Matthew Crosby, who will be on the podcast next week. <laughs> I get it, guys. I get it. Um, and he and I went to a school uh, in a place called Orpington, which in... Are there people from Orpington here? Really? You, oh, sold some, you actually sold some tickets. Yeah. Also, the other thing that I'm worried about is you probably shouldn't have cheered... You should have cheered after I said what I was going to say about Orpington. Because <laughs> everyone in Orpington is racist. <laughs> yeah. But it just, in 1997, Orpington was not the multicultural oasis it is now. And when I first started going to school, there would be people, you know, it would, but it was like part of the ritual there. I'd get off the bus, someone would be like, go home. I'd be like, fuck you. See you tomorrow, Chris. And like, just what, like, <laughs> you know, it was all very collegiate. <laughs> but, the, so, but that hasn't happened to me for years. And it was a real, it was just a real jarring thing because it seemed to sort of confirm all of the worst things that we'd been thinking uh, were going to happen. And also, like, it really served me right because that afternoon I'd lunch with my friend and I was like, nothing's going to happen. I was like, go home, and me just being like, shit. (laughs) Well, it does seem there's, you know, it's it's a weird... I made a joke that will go out after the referendum, before the referendum, when Petter came up, who's the uh, duty manager here, and I said, oh, you won't be here next week. Uh, And, uh, you know, you kind of go, oh, that's... You know, in three weeks' time, yes. that might not be that funny a joke. So, uh, so, so it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's strange um, how, how it's... Well, it, it's, it's emboldened people, do you think? To... Yeah, I think so. It's like the uh, plot of X-Men Apocalypse, right? <laughs> Those people have always been there, but they were just lying dormant. <laughs> and now this result has kind of awakened them. And the th- that's the problem when I'm trying to talk to people who, uh, who voted leave, who I completely respect and did so for completely logical and sensible reasons. The problem is, you have to say, the problem is that because of the nature of the campaign, those people feel like, because we've elected to vote leave, they now have the right to say these terrible things. And it's a really complicated situation, because there's plenty of people who voted leave who are not racist and just had problems with the structure of the EU. But there are also plenty of people who voted leave because they are assholes, And it's a really difficult situation. We, we're in the middle of it now. Hopefully when this goes out, everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you think that there was an element of, of people who thought that the vote was leave or remain for the, immig- for yeah, the immigrants? Yeah, I mean, genuinely, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. we voted for you to leave. Yeah. Why are you still here? That's, what, that's what's happening, though. That is genuinely... I mean, I don't know what the truth of this is, but did anyone else read this? Is it true that people, the day after the referendum, there was a, like, surge in people Googling the phrase, what is the EU? Like, <laughs> is, that, is that true? That's something that I've read. And what, one of the things that we're slowly realising is that we were all spectacularly misinformed yeah. about what the EU was. Like, and to be honest, there's people who are like, oh, the EU, well, they're the people that are forcing you to marry a black. 
Like, that's what the European Union was. They want you bananas straight, and they want you to marry a brown man. That's, and now what we're realising is that neither campaign really educated people no. about what the European Union was. I mean, David Cameron is one of the shittest prime ministers of all time. Well, you know when people start reaching for the Neville Chamberlain comparison <laughs> that you are historically fucked. I genuinely tweeted David Cameron the week before when it would look like uh, Leave was going to win before it then changed around, it looked like Remain would win. But, I, you know, he was going to... He was fucking up the country. It was clear that he was fucking up the country, that we're the, we were going to lose Scotland, or yeah. Scotland was going to go independent. And, uh, you know, I just going... I, I just thought, you know, that's your rep, that's going to be your legacy. Yeah. That you fucked up the country. And you would... And I think, and I think sort of, he realised, not because of my tweet, but I think he realised... <laughs> I think he's sort of realised, because in the last week he sort of made a tiny effort to, yeah. to do something about it. But it, given, I mean, it's, we've had the debate after the vote. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, there was a massive march on Saturday being like, we love the EU, and you're like, cool, but, I mean, a week earlier, like, <laughs> <laughs> would have been real helpful. Well, yeah. Fuck. Uh, so, <laughs> we're, we're just, we're screwed. Uh, it's awful. Um, but, um, yeah, there's nowhere to go. How about Newsjack, though, eh? That's, uh, <laughs> how, how, did you get, how did you get that job? <laughs> and why didn't, why didn't he go to a proper British person? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as, at the time that we're speaking, I'm supposed to host the next series of Newsjack on Radio 4 Extra in September, but I may well have been extradited by then, so it may well have gone to a nice, good, solid, white British comedian like Ramesh Ranganathan. It may have passed back, <laughs> passed back to Ramesh. Yeah. Um, Newsjack is a, a topical show on BBC Radio 4 Extra, which is a, an open submission show, so anyone can send in a sketch. And it is, of all the things I've done in my career, one of the things I'm least ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really like it. It's great. It's sort of, when I started out, there was a show called Weekending. Weekending yeah. It yeah. was a, a sort of similar premise. Though I think, from what I've heard of Newsjack, when I, it's, it's sometimes on Radio 4 Extra when I'm driving home. Yeah. It seems, I mean, it's, it's definitely more, more uh, even when... Uh, Weekending was on, it seemed very dated, whereas right. Newsjack news seems to be written by lots of young people. Yeah, it does. Like, we, we get a really interesting pool of writers, and I've done it for, I think, either three or four series now. I think it's three, yeah. But we've people who started out submitting stuff are now being invited into the writing room and are writing for shows like The News Quiz and The Now Show and stuff. And it's, that, it's a really gratifying thing to see people. And it's also what's sort of great about the BBC. Can you tell I have certain axes that I want to grind? Um, it's one of the things that's great about the BBC because it did, there is no other structure that exists for just people to just send stuff in. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's just an email address, so it doesn't, there's no qualifying factor whatsoever, which means some of the submissions we get are mental. Yes. But <laughs> the ones that aren't, uh, they are, they're, they're, there's, there's lots of really good writers out there. But they do, do you not, do you don't have, is it all done by email? You don't have a, like a writer's meeting or, or is it literally everyone just emails them in? No, there's, uh, there's two processes. So there's everyone, it, there's a whole pe- address where people just email over the weekend and then on Monday there's a writing meeting with a smaller group of writers who've been invited in. But they're all people who started out just sending yeah. stuff in blind. That's kind of what weekending was like, but weekending you could come to the non-commissioned writing meeting as well. That was a, Amazing. <laughs> it's much better when you when you see them when you're in amongst them. I mean, I'd say this is a man who's just literally tipped half of his bottle of water over his face. <laughs> <laughs> 
you so I was one of the successful. <laughs> <laughs> tried to drink some water and just poured it down myself. Tried to style it out. And then remembered it, everything was being filmed. And I've got wet trousers. So uh, it's... Um, oh, it's right there it, as well. Like, yeah. It's really... Oh. It's, it really looks like you've you've, yeah. you've had a small accident. <laughs> but I remember that we when there was something there was we met when we did the weekending. It was like we met Peter Bainham through weekending and yeah. Julian Dutton and amazing people and lots of those people have gone into enormous success. But some of them haven't. There was one guy who came in and <laughs> it was a like slightly weird guy and I quite liked him actually. But he walked in one day and his trousers fell down and he was, his trousers were held up with a bit of rope. <laughs> And that broke, and his trousers, as he walked into the room, his trousers fell down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't have any underpants on. <laughs> so that was the kind of, those are the kind of people coming to try and get their jokes on, we, on weekending. I don't know it? why you're judging him, he sounds like an absolute natural. <laughs> Did he then subsequently slip on a banana peel? Because <laughs> this man may be the total comedian. Yeah. Well, I wonder, I don't know where he is now. That's, that's, I, I wonder, and that man's name wonder. was Boris Johnson. <laughs> it was Stuart Lee. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, you've, you've done uh, how many stand-up shows in Edinburgh? Have you done there? Is it sort of uh, I've done four. four yeah. I'm about to do my fifth. Yeah, and then you're touring with this. So the latest yeah. one is "Actions Speak Louder Than Words," unless you shout the words really loud. Yeah. So you've got good titles. Yeah. Was it last the... year? Long word, long word. Blah blah blah. I'm so clever. Yeah, that was last year's show. <laughs> That was last year's show. Um, the previous year's show was called Ruminations on the Nature of Subjectivity. Right. So that long word, long word, blah, 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 I'm so clever, was a joke callback to that. Uh. But not enough people see my show. So <laughs> and so I spent basically like three months just being like, why have you called it this? And you, go, you explain it to them, and people go, oh, you shouldn't have called it that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I was reading about uh, this sort of... I mean, you're kind of an affable comedian, is, is, is yeah. the, the, rather than a confrontational comedian. Yeah, no, but I'm it took, not took you a while. Did it take you a while to kind of real, to feel comfortable within that affability? Or was, yeah. Was, yeah, I think it's quite hard, because if you want to talk about... Uh, if you want to talk about issues like racism and prejudice and all and politics or whatever, you feel naturally that you have to be quite confrontational... Like, um, you know, like comedians who are like that, people like, you know, like Bill Hicks or like Stuart Lee, like who, uh, you know, have these kind of have a sort of slightly acidic tone with the audience. And I was never quite able to pull that off because I have a pathological need for people to like me. (laughs) And so it was I I, I was always fighting against my sort of natural self, I think, the whole time. Because I was like, you know, I was really trying to be like, hey, fuck you guys. I've got some books that I read, and I'm about to shove them in your goddamn assholes. Like, I mean, that is not f- far enough away from the truth for comfort, to be honest with you. That was pretty much what I was going on stage doing. And then, like, one of the things that I realised, sort of, as I got along, is if you are quite affable and you are, and people do sort of generally like you, they will listen to what you have to say, and so it actually becomes a bit of an asset. Yeah, I mean, I think that's there's an element where it become, you kind of think, how can these people who are angry about everything continue to be angry about everything? Yeah, yeah. Especially if they are successful at being angry about everything. Going, yeah. Oh, I've really got to be cross about all the people coming to see me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the exciting <laughs> the thing I've about got. watching Stu uh, as his <laughs> success has just exploded. It's just every time I go and see him, I'm like, what is he going to be furious about now? <laughs> and it's always exciting because he always finds something to be furious about. <laughs> he does. He certainly does. Uh, <laughs> you start, did you start out in a double act or was the double, was the double act a 
alongside the... Uh, uh, the double act was alongside... So uh, me and my friend Tom Neenan used to do a double act called The Gentleman of Leisure, uh, which was... Uh, I don't know why I'm speaking slowly like I'm expecting someone to woo. About eight, <laughs> eight people saw that show. Um, we did two Edinburgh shows, and it was like cultural-themed sketch comedy. And it was as successful as you would assume. <laughs> and that is all I will say of it. <laughs> it, was, it was really good fun. Yeah. Like, and Tom uh, is an amazing writer and performer. And we did uh, these sketch shows that we were like, you know, like, you know, when you, you listen to interviews by people who are incredibly successful later on in their career and they're just like, we were just making it for each other. We weren't thinking about the fans or we weren't thinking about the acclaim. We just made it for each other. We were just making it for each other <laughs> and we did end up only making it for each other. <laughs> And did you meet at university? You were, you, yeah. were you doing sort of student comedy at D- Durham University? Yeah. Student is sketch that still, comedy. Is it still going? Durham, Durham University. Durham the absolute bottom of the Edinburgh barrel. Because <laughs> the thing is, with uh, like the Durham Review is basically the drunk cousin of the Oxford Review and the Cambridge Footlights. Like it is the shit one of the three. And what was fun about it was that no one had any expectations. So when we, I did two years of that, and all our reviews, the first line started with basically, I thought this was going to be absolutely awful, and it wasn't four stars. Like it really, <laughs> like that is basically the total. Whereas I, all our friends were in, you know, we were friends with the Oxford review and the Cambridge Footlights and they are still people who I continue to be friends with now and it was great we'd go and do shows at each other's universities and every one of the Oxford Review reviews or the Cambridge Footlight reviews would start with well this was not Stephen Fry fuck these shits <laughs> like people were so angry about yeah. it and but with us they had no expectations so it was it was we had an easier time I think yeah I mean I think like even the Oxbridge ones though have not you know and now I mean, it was, when I did when I was in the Oxford Review in 1988. Yeah, it was even then it was like an unfashionable thing. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. We got. I mean, we really. I mean, it was sort of still at the point where it was recent enough memory that the, the Oxford Reviews had been, you know, bolstered and successful for the stand-ups to hate us. And, <laughs> and, you know, I had a really horrible time. I got really <laughs> bullied by all the stand-ups. Uh, but you know, even then it was it was a di- it felt like a dying art form. So it's kind of incredible that they're it's, it's just still way, going on. In a way, it's kind of good because it's. I think it's a great place for students should be doing comedy, trying stuff out, and nobody ever sees it. Oh, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, if some if. That any of those sketches were still available, it would be absolutely detrimental to all of our careers. I mean, <laughs> some of the stuff like it's great. Failing in isolation is the only way to improve. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think that's what Edinburgh should be about. As well. I think for a new new standup. Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's about going up and trying stuff out and working out what you're going to do. So it's kind of nice that I was just sort, I'm sort of surprised the Oxford Review is still going. Yeah, still going, <laughs> still going strong. They yeah. still sell tickets, man. People still people love to go and hate it. Like, I don't understand the mentality, but people love to be like, I'm going to go. And if it's not literally Rowan Atkinson, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind with these children. Like, what what is the mentality that drives someone to be like, I'm going to tell off an 18-year-old for failing to be Stephen Fry, and then they'll know how great I am. It actually had a massively detrimental effect on me. Really? Yeah, because I went up to Edinburgh, and really excited, second year had gone up and literally all you know we got booked for um late and live and all the stand-ups were there whether they turned up to see us or not and just gave us a terrible 
you know, hat heckled us. We got on this TV show where Keith Allen, this is the reason I don't like Keith Allen, he came to see our show, <laughs> heckled, moved some crash mats and punched the theatre manager and left after the first sketch. He's a man who likes to get his cock out a lot in public as well. <laughs> Wonder when they'll get to him. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Maybe by the time you're listening to this. Uh, and then we went on TV to defend ourselves, and then all the sound, you know, Malcolm Hardy and Keith Allen were there and just were, and bullied me until I nearly cried on TV. Oh my God. And so then I came to London, and then I thought, you know, all the stand ups hate me because I'm in the Oxford Review. So it like actually set me completely back. Is there, this is a horrible part of my brain, but is, have you still got the footage of that? <laughs> I think the, uh, someone did send me, like, I think the bit of the. The interview is somewhere, because I think someone at least sent me a picture of me from it. It's like the Muriel Grey Edinburgh Nights thing. But I think that the, at- the attitude that people had, like, I think in the 80s there was a real hostility from, like, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, alternative comedy. Yeah, yeah. There was a hostility towards people from Oxbridge. But with, when we were there, by that time, that hostility had dissipated. Also, we were at Durham, so it's hard to be angry because it's like, oh, you're from Durham. Oh, bad luck, mate. Like, what happened? You didn't get into Oxford or Cambridge. OK, carry on. Like, so but I think it was. It was I mean, we were being, you know, we were, I should say, 19-year-old kids, 20-year-old kids yeah. being blamed for whether it was right or wrong for everything they'd gone before. Oh, it's so it's a strange thing. But it was also, I was thinking about this this week as well, but when we, we did this, uh, the, they, they started this fortnightly comedy club in Oxford, in the Oxford Union, in the cellar at the Oxford Union, and we were in that cellar downstairs, and yeah. Boris Johnson and Michael Gove uh, <laughs> were all upstairs <laughs> doing, you know, doing the proper Oxford Union. Oh, my God. This, like Armando Yannucci, Stuart Lee, Al, Al Murray, and me, and Emma Kennedy downstairs, and these, these people. I mean, and, and, you know, I wonder whether we should have swapped over, because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could have done worse running the country, I and I don't think, think we can be as funny as they're being. <laughs> but isn't this footage that's come up this week of Gove in like a satirical, like sketch show thing with David Baddiel? And yeah, yeah, uh, I wrote for that. What? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, stab in the dark. It was. Uh, it was. We wrote for Tracy McLeod. So right. it, was, it was one of my first jobs, and it was the first properly paid job I got. So I was extremely... I'd done, like, two or three years of stand-up and radio and earned nothing. And all I remember about it is I got paid £700 a week, and I couldn't believe my... For six weeks. What was the show? Called Stab in the Dark. It was a bit like uh, the 10 o'clock life, you know, but it's, it's like three... David Baddiel, Tracy McLeod, and Michael Gove, and they would talk about the news. Michael Gove would interview people, so he interviewed some anarchist or something like there was but I suspect that it was someone pretending right uh, that he didn't realise uh, and we, we wrote sort of topical you know it's, it's just like a clever satirical look at that week's news and we wrote for Tracy McLeod so we never actually really worked with Michael Gove oh my god I don't really remember meeting him or seeing him yeah beyond thinking he was a bit of a prick he was a, <laughs> ju- he was a journalist then yeah so you know I've had a, several opportunities to kill him <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And I have not taken any of them, so I feel I feel uh, I've let the country down, and it might have been worth the twenty years in prison. I mean, if I'd killed him at university, I'd be out by now. <laughs> so, God, no that's, one. That was a really dark thought. Imagine if you went back in time and killed Michael Gove, and then waited to see what happened, and it was just we were still sat here, like <laughs> it had not affected anything. It probably wouldn't affect them. Well, we'll see. He might be the prime minister. By the time you hear this, I, I think I've got more chance of being prime minister than Gove <laughs> at this point. Like I don't, I think he might have fucked it. Well, you know, there's some trust issues with him on there, but he was—he never did that in Stab in the Dark. He, he never stabbed him, weirdly. He never came in and took Tracy McLeod's. <laughs> said, "This is your shit." We're not friends anymore. Poor little Michael Gove. Uh. 
I saw him in the Westfield as well. He didn't acknowledge me either. He was with this kid. Really? This is, what that, this is the most... I talked about it recently. It's not funny anymore, because now MPs have been murdered. But uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> but at the time before that had happened, you know, everyone loved it when I talked about smashing a bottle of beer into Michael <laughs> Gove's head. How the world has changed. Uh, but I saw him... I was sitting in the, you know, the little tapas bar on, up on the first floor. Oh, yeah, I know. It's well. nice, yeah, it's yeah, nice. yeah. I've taken uh, a few shits around the corner from there. I was having uh, some tapas with my wife and a beer, and Michael Gove and his two kids walked past. No security. Oh, and right. I could literally couldn't. He would go, "Hey, Rich, good work on stabbing <laughs> up, man." Twenty years ago, come remember? <laughs> just walked past me like he was, I was a piece of shit. <laughs> and I, I was just amazed that there was no security detail on him, on him at all. Yeah, because I mean, uh, is... he's like a you know he's in the cabinet and everything. Yeah. So you'd think he would be. So, but I'd have had to murder him in front of his own kids. I reckon I could have done it. <laughs> and then I wouldn't see my daughter grow up. It would still have been worth it. It's not, it's not funny. It's generally not. See, it's not funny anymore. It's, that's... Yeah, fuckers ruining comedy. So, uh... That is the worst consequence. It is. <laughs> um, good, I'll ask an emergency question because I've got myself... If they could have heard the racist stuff I was saying backstage, they'll have to buy a badge to find out about that. Um, if you had to choose between dating a woman who was a six-foot-tall vulva or uh, inst- a woman who, instead of having a vagina, had a tiny woman in there, like it would be inside her, where a, where a Oh, so it would were. just pop out like a yeah. cuckoo clock? Yeah, she would come out and look, what are you doing? What's going on? What Which of those two would you choose? So it's either the giant vulva... It's a gi- giant vagina, vulva, whatever you want to call it. Vulva would be more accurate. Six-foot-tall... Yeah. It's not got arms, it's got false arms though. So you could wear, she could wear a, a dress in public, but it would just be a big vulva. Or a woman who, instead of having a, a vagina and vulva genitals, had another woman inside peeking out. Did she small? What's the mechanics of. You can't I don't know, that. it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense, does it? I think What's I was... the mechanics of what? Like how you, you, you presumably you would not be able to have intercourse with the woman who has another woman with the sort of Russian doll situation. You wouldn't be able to have well, sex. It's not with all that about woman. sex, Nish. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> Says the man who's just asked me that question. It's not about sex. It's about dating. I I would. Which would be the more interesting date? You'd be very presumptuous that it's going to get that that the woman who's interesting enough to have another woman in there instead of genitalia. <laughs> I think I think I think it would work. Like she would be if you really pushed hard, the woman would pop out. <laughs> well, if you but, did like some sort of a downstairs Heimlich yeah, maneuver, the woman would, would pop out. out, and then it would be just like a woman, little woman standing there. <laughs> but you could easily just push her back in again. Is the woman? Is this a sort of conjoined twin situation where it's they look exactly the same, or is it just a completely it's different, different woman? woman obviously, uh, so that was a waste. That was a waste of your twenty questions that you have. <laughs> Coming to an answer. I think I would go with the the double woman situation. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I just think that the world is not ready for an uh, Asian man to be in a relationship <laughs> with a giant vagina. I just think that in 2016 we're not ready for that. Yeah. And also, the, technically, you would if you had sex with the woman with another woman within her, yeah. you, that would count, constitute a threesome. Yeah, it would. And you would be able to brag about that. Yeah. It's not funny when they take it seriously, is it? <laughs> not funny when they take the emergency question seriously. Okay, I'll ask you another one. Um, not going to ask that. That's rubbish. That's not even mine. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? 
I, listen, I've never seen a ghost. Yeah. But if I'm alone in my flat, I immediately assume that there is a ghost. Yeah. I am scared of absolutely everything. And, I mean, now it turns out it might not be a ghost. It's just your reflection <laughs> from your back room where you're doing unspeakable things Could to yourself. Be. Yeah. It could be. Have you ever been in the vicinity of a Bigfoot, but not seen it, but sensed <laughs> it? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen some things in the Bromley Weatherspoons that I think would... Sometimes when you're in the Bromley Weatherspoons, you see some creatures in there, you think, that could be a Bigfoot. <laughs> I asked you how sensitive your nipples were backstage. It was a great answer. It's worth becoming a badge answer. Uh, it was a really great answer. It was answer, really yes. good. It's worth paying the pound a month. If you pay your pound a month and then just stop paying it, you can still access the secret channels. <laughs> Why are we... you giving them suggestions <laughs> to hack your own system <laughs> of earning nice. money? <laughs> we're nice. I reckon they'll, put it, they'll be so impressed with what they see that they'll, they'll carry on paying the pound. Uh, <laughs> but you never know. Um, no one asked you that. Well, no, we'll ask you. Which is worse, bestiality or necrophilia? <laughs> Define worse. <laughs> which, is, which do you think should have a bigger punishment in law? I think this came out of having uh, sex with uh, Dave Cameron, having sex with a pig's dead pig's mouth, which yes. is now not the worst thing he's done. That is, that is, <laughs> now we look back with a sense of nostalgia to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't we just give him a series of animal heads? <laughs> And just say, David, instead of worrying about policies and stuff, just stick your cock in as many of these as you can. <laughs> if he did it... Yeah. Which I don't... I, I'm still not 100% convinced he did, but I'm willing to believe it because it's too funny to not dismiss it. Do you think that when he was... That photo of him holding the pig, which will now be his political epitaph, do you think while he was holding that pig, he was thinking, I really wish I hadn't fucked a pig? <laughs> Because if that comes out, this photo is going to really land me in the brown stuff. <laughs> like, His face does look a bit like he's thinking, this, is not, this wasn't a good idea. I think that uh, necrophilia is worse. Right. Because there isn't even the hint that you have sought to obtain, obtain consent. That's why I think it's worse. Yeah, but bestiality, can, can an animal consent? I mean, that is, unless you're Dr. Doolittle, what, what, then how are, you, how are you hoping to get garner the consent now? Of a, that of is an, an Adam Sandler remake I want to see. <laughs> it's Adam Sandler as Dr. Doolittle, where he fucks all the animals. Um, all right, I'll, I'll move on to something. Uh, I'll move on to a, a very different subject. Should penis transplants be allowed? Yeah. Why would they not be allowed? Well, because well, I mean, if... as long as the person has died, that is getting as long as you're not you're going all about you're all about dicks off. You're all about people being alive and consenting. <laughs> that's your. That's why uh, the person <laughs> would probably be dead. Who's, who's transplant? I mean, if you're talking about penis transplants from living people, yeah. that is, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's that's not okay. <laughs> I will go out on a limb. I don't care who I offend. I don't think you should cut people's dicks off and then stick them onto your own dick. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Are you, are you envisaging that the penis transplant is an addition to your own penis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like uh, in the, when you put the thing on the back of your snooker cue. Like, it's like that. <laughs> you just but your own in. penis is becoming the, the <laughs> yeah. back of the penis cue. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. But you just screw it in if you're just trying to either have sex with a long vagina person woman or if you're just trying to execute a particularly difficult plant 
if you could have any animal's penis transplanted onto you, which animal's penis <laughs> would you take? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go horse. Okay. I would have a horse penis transplanted onto the end of my own penis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because the thing is, what I mean, yeah, obviously, if there's a horrific circumstance, I think there's no questions. If somebody has ticked that, I don't believe that box exists on the organ donor card at the moment, but if that is the case, but if you're a crazy rich guy and someone dies and you just buy their dick, you would definitely attach it. You know, I can ju- I can see people doing that. Either you attach it as an extension to your own, or you put it just beside it, so it's like your one has a little mate. <laughs> I think it's a swap situation. I don't think... You think it's a swap? You're very, you're very attached to your own penis. Yeah. But in your scenario, the horse penis, the sensitive part of your own penis, the yeah. glands, <laughs> will surely be covered by a horse's penis anyway. So you're... You know, all you've got is your penis. And I would imagine the horse's... I don't know, I haven't seen your penis yet. Uh, but I would imagine the horse's, pe- horse's penis would be wider than Nish Kumar's penis. Yeah, it's no substantially. Offense. So what it would be is like a mushroom effect, but you would have... <laughs> Your penis and then the head, and not just the head of the other penis, but the shaft and then the head of the penis. So that would be a very strange-looking penis. I would rather just have the horse penis than a Nish Kumar horse, you know, hybrid penis. It would definitely be a talking point at a urinal. Yeah. (laughs) What about having uh, half of your penis cut away, lengthways, and then the other half replace... With, like, sort of two face in Batman or whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's which, two cocks. Which is the bit that they never really covered <laughs> yeah. in The Dark Knight. What happened to Harvey Dent's penis? Yeah. Because did that mean that half of his dick became evil? Well, that's my other question about penis transplants, is what if you get the penis of an, of an evil person transplanted onto you uh, and uh, it retains the memories of what it did before? Now you've absolutely written an Adam Sandler film. <laughs> that... <laughs> It's perfect, and it'd be called something like Richard's New Johnson. Like, it'd be called something like that, and it would be, that would be a plot where Adam Sandler gets Hitler's penis transplanted onto his own groin, and he suddenly, becomes, he suddenly has a fondness for Aryan women. <laughs> too much for the audience. Hey, well, I, I think we've already gone to the point that was too much for this audience, and they're still trying to recover from some of the, the earlier stuff. Um, uh, what is the best museum you've ever been to? Let's forget about penises. What's he so obsessed with penises for? Yeah, you're right. I would say it's the penis museum. <laughs> In Iceland. <laughs> In Iceland. The best... Me- well, my favourite museum is... Tom and I did a show where we did uh, a fake tour of the British Museum uh, where we sort of... We, you know, we build it as a comedy show and because anyone can give tours of the British Museum because it's technically owned by the people, which technically makes us all complicit in all of the crimes that resulted in all of those objects being in the museum. <laughs> um, but it, um, So we would give a fake tour where we'd set it up so it looked like a tour, and, but it was a comedy show within all of this. So we'd do like a sketch about the Rosetta Stone next to the Rosetta Stone. But because it looked like a tour, people would just join the tour. Right. And uh, at one point, uh, one, one man who had just joined the tour turned to a person who he didn't know, but who turned out to be one of our friends who was also producing the show for us and just went, these guys don't know anything. He <laughs> <laughs> was really upset for us. Oh. So the British Museum is your favourite museum? Yeah, because it's the only one I've done a comedy show in. Until I do my inevitable uh, stand-up comedy Netflix special at the Natural History Museum. <laughs> or, oh, what I really wanted to do is just walk around the British Museum going, 
That belongs to my ancestors. That belongs to my ancestors. <laughs> when you're touring, do you not go and, do you go and visit museums around the country and tourist attractions, or are you just in and out? No, what I generally tend to do is I go and watch movies. Right. I watch a, a hell of a lot of movies just on my own with just me and just some pensioners and just a couple of crazy-looking people. <laughs> that I like to, that's what I like to do. So I've got a working knowledge of the cinemas in most mid-range towns in Britain. Yeah. That's how I like to kill time. What do you do? Um, I just, uh, I mean, I just try and sleep now, mainly. Uh, yeah. I, I, try, I try and get to the place and get out as quickly as I can. Uh, we, used to, we used to go to museums and stuff and used to, uh, you know, so it's, cause sometimes it's nice to look around the town, if you get there early enough, to look around the town and yeah. see if there's anything that is amusing. I think if you can give local references that are quite obscure... Yeah. that you could only have seen if you'd walk around the town. That can sometimes be quite a funny thing to do, but I can't be bothered to do that everywhere I go. <laughs> it's too much work, so I don't do very much anymore. But like some people, I was talking about this, but Vic Reeves likes to go to museums and go on walks and stuff, and Stuart used to like to go like, hiking up mountains and stuff, and I was always very much like, can we just go to sleep? That is the more interesting way of touring. Yeah. But, you know, because it turns out the uh, Leeds Odeon is not substantially different from the London Odeon, <laughs> so you're not really getting the local experience. If but you that's what that. the country's like now, I think. Cause, I mean, yeah, I think that's, you know, every, every city is the same. That's why, like, on the drive to places, we would sometimes stop off yeah. and go to a, a terrible tourist attraction. But, like, every city, nearly every city is now just the same place. When yeah, you, when you go into the town centre of it, it is really the same load of shops. You know, there's Norwich is a bit different than some of the cities. Yeah, Hull is a bit different, but in yeah. a not good way. <laughs> Hull really looks like a sort of dystopian, like it's like the Demolition Man. Like it really does. Like you get out and you're like, oh my god, this is Road Warrior. And then I got there and I did the gig and I sort of said that and they all were like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wow, <laughs> the people of Hull have no civic pride whatsoever. <laughs> Got the fish trail in Hull, though. Have you, have you been What's on the, the fish, fish trail? It's a trail of fish that you can walk, <laughs> you can walk along. Uh, but they're not like, you know, they don't re- put, renew it with fresh fish. It's like <laughs> fish in the ground that you can walk along and go, oh, there's a fish. <laughs> no, no, it's still there. I haven't been, you know, in the, in the old days, I used, we used to do things like that. Um, uh, I, I was, was going to ask you a great question, one of the emergency questions then. No, it's gone. Let's just leave an imba- This is what the emergency questions are here for, to stop this <laughs> embarrassed silence. Uh, but I can't remember what I was going to... I, I thought there's a one that's going to follow on. No, it's gone. It's screwed. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Uh, if you had to go on holiday uh, with one of the spitting image puppets, which one would you choose? Bearing in mind that the puppet will choose the holiday destination. Right, OK. And that you will also have to take the voiceover artist and the puppeteer with... <laughs> Um, so we're, to- we're talking like sort of mid-80s political figures. Yeah, generally. I mean, it's, you know, there were some, some other you know, entertainment people on there. I reckon... It's probably before your time. Did you watch Spitting Image? Not really. No. I'm a little bit... I'm, 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 I'm a really young guy, Richard. No, I know you <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was mainly into Captain Planet. But anyway... <laughs> I would, I would go with, uh, I would go with Roy Hattersley. Okay, yeah. I just reckon he's got the look of a man who knows how to holiday well. Yeah. There's a lot of spittle you would have to. Yeah, you would have was, to. That was you what be... that puppet mainly. Remember, it's the puppet, not the actual. <laughs> yeah, that you're going I, with. I think. Yeah, I think you'd be in a hot country yeah. and have Roy Hattersley just gobbing on you oh, to cool true. you that down. Could work. But Roy Hattersley's choosing the, the holiday destination. The puppet of Roy Hattersley. <laughs> <laughs> 
would he choose a hot country? I don't think he would. No, I don't he's think quite he would. Fat. No, I think I'm going to Norway with Roy Hattersley's <laughs> puppet. He's spitting ice onto your face, <laughs> basically, is what's That'd happening. That'd be an interesting anecdote. <laughs> um, good. I'm satisfied with your answers. <laughs> had a nice time. Um, <laughs> what do you think the best uh, place to go out in Shepherd's Bush is? The best place to go out in Shepherd's Bush? Yeah, do you, do you go and eat, eat, eat in Shepherd's Bush? You're in, you, you go into Soho and stuff. We've established that backstage. Yeah. I don't like to travel very far anymore. There's a, there's a great place called Mr. Falafel in Shepherd's Bush. Oh, yeah. Which does absolutely... Why does someone just laugh at me saying Mr. Falafel? <laughs> there is a place called Mr. Falafel. It's a funny name. It is absolutely delicious falafel. It's really good. It's in Shepherd's Bush Market. I've got, there's no joke here. It's just fucking delicious. You know, sometimes you eat, when you eat bad falafel, it's like, oh, this is just like sawdust. But this one, top-class falafel. That's where I love to go and eat. Okay, where do you try. go and eat in Shepherd's Bush? Um, we go down to the way. I like wasabi uh, Thai. Oh, yeah. I had uh, dinner there today. I like it. Do you? Yeah, it's nice, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, uh, I had a shit in their toilet as well. <laughs> I don't know what it is about my... Like, something has happened to my... <laughs> Something has happened to my bowels. Yeah. When I got up the morning of the referendum and, they, and I saw the result, I immediately had violent diarrhoea. <laughs> and my stomach has not quite been the same. Like, I have whatever Brexit is now a condition <laughs> that I am experiencing south of the border. Yeah. Like, my yesterday's night's dinner really voted leave in a big way. <laughs> Yeah, that might be true for me as well. <laughs> that might be one of the side well, effects. Well, because I talked to a couple of my friends and they were like, yeah, I've had the same thing. And I'm trying to establish if this is a real condition. Or, or uh, to be honest, the friends that I talked to, uh, I had dinner with them the night before. the. Uh, <laughs> so it, it may well be we just had a we suspect Nando's. Out. We can find out. Has anyone else list. in the audience had diarrhoea since the vote? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there are a couple There's of people a, who have had There it. was just one person that's bad in it when you shout out, yeah, thinking everyone was going to do it. And it, just, it was just our little trick of way of finding out that you have had diarrhea. I think I might be looking at the wrong person. But that's also a perfect metaphor for the Remain campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke up thinking you were part of a crowd. <laughs> no, you were not. <laughs> um, cool. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you. I think we're going to have to, you know draw it to a close so we can talk to the other bloke from your school <laughs> it's like it's like <laughs> it's like it's like the new Eton isn't it yeah. the, uh, yeah. dominating the media so the Olav's grammar school has really oh yeah are there people from school here really I mean the, what are the chances what you went to Newstead then Olav's Newstead is the girls school around the corner wow. whose alumni include Josie Long wow what year did you leave Ten years you ago. You can't oh. remember when you left school. <laughs> Are you lying? Are you trying to impress us by pretending you went to the same school as Nish Kumar? <laughs> it's the it, worst kind of Munchausen syndrome I've ever seen. If I... And now I can't... Oh, shit, I can't follow it through. Why don't I just say what, what, what year I left school myself? <laughs> Ten years ago, was Nish, was Nish a kind of hero at, uh, at the school when you left? <laughs> was was Matthew Crosby a hero at the school? Oh, he did more. Well, so. did they did they tell tales of uh, the 1997 production of Waiting for Godot, which starred <laughs> Matthew Crosby and me? No. All right, carry on. Which one? Which one were you? I was the boy. Oh, were you? Yeah, I was the boy. 
That's the worst part. Isn't yeah, it? it's the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> what part was Matthew Crosby? He was Godo. Was it was it? a very he controversial production. Yeah, we uh, we changed things up, and we had Godo come in at the end. It was a revisionist Godo. It was very much Adam Sandler presents Waiting for Godo. <laughs> Let's wrap it up there. We will see. <laughs> I'll talk to Matthew Crosby at Waiting for Godo next week. That's mainly what I'm going to do. We'll find out the truth about your portrait of the boy. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Nish Kumar. You have been listening to Richard Herring's Let's Square Theatre podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Nish Kumar. The music is by Pess. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide. Thank you to everyone at GoFastStripe.com. Thank you to everyone at Leicester Square Theatre. You've all been very lovely. Thank you to George for recording this in lieu of my producer Ben having some proper work. Thank you to my producer Ben Walker. Uh, thank you also to everyone at Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastStripe Productions. That's who's made this for you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this, uh, check out richtaring.com slash gigs. Check out gofasterstripe.com. Check out gofasterstripe.com slash badges. There's lots of ways to pay back for this uh, if you are so inclined. Or just tell your friends about it. Or just keep it yourself. That's what I'd do. Yeah. I know what kind of person you are. You make me sick. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.